Welcome to the Cybersecurity Readiness Podcast Series with Dr. Dave Chatterjee. Dr. Chatterjee is the author of the book Cybersecurity Readiness, a holistic and high-performance approach, a SAGE publication. He has been studying cybersecurity for over a decade, authored and edited scholarly papers, delivered talks, conducted webinars and workshops, consulted with companies, and served on a cybersecurity SWAT team with chief information security officers. Dr. Chatterjee is Associate Professor of Management Information Systems at the Terry College of Business, the University of Georgia. As a Duke University visiting scholar, Dr. Chatterjee has taught in the Master of Engineering and Cybersecurity program at the Pratt School of Engineering. Hello, everyone. I'm delighted to welcome you to this episode of the Cybersecurity Readiness Podcast Series. To set the stage for today's discussion, Cloud migration and remote work requirements are forcing organizations to modernize their applications and identity systems. Making the transition is both time-consuming and expensive using traditional software development practices. By decoupling applications from identity, orchestration can alleviate the burden while allowing companies to seamlessly mix and match different cloud providers, as well as multi-factor authentication and passwordless technologies. My guest, Eric Olden, co-founder and CEO at Strata Identity, is here to shed light on identity orchestration strategies and best practices. I can't think of many people who know more about this subject than Eric. So I'm absolutely delighted that he's here to share his thoughts and perspectives. Eric, welcome. Great. Good morning. Great to appreciate you having me on, Dave. Really looking forward to it. Fantastic. So Eric, before we dive into the discussion details, share with the listeners some of your professional highlights, a bit of your professional journey. Sure, that sounds good. So just a little background on me is uh, I've been in identity since the mid-90s. I started my first identity company when I was in college, two guys in a dorm room. Next thing you know, we had a 300-person company and all of the stars were aligning and then the dot-com thing crashed. And so we got acquired instead of doing an IPO. Who knows where that would have gone, but that company, Securant, and the product ClearTrust was the first enterprise identity system for large-scale web access management. And I was the CTO of that company. And we built that product really from the needs of the customers that were struggling trying to make the transition to the web. At the engineering piece that I'm most proud of on that was at the end, I was one of the four co-authors of uh, the SAML standard and help get that off the ground and, you know, really open up federation and the way to trust different distributed organizations. And after a couple of years as a venture capitalist and just kind of spending my time doing other things, I got back into identity, started my second company, Simplified, and that was the first identity as a service company. And we were solving the problem of identity that moved to SaaS applications. And how do you do that at scale? when you don't control the infrastructure that you need to secure. 
coincidentally sold that company as well to RSA. So then fast forward a couple years and I was fortunate enough to run the security and identity division for Oracle and saw the point of view from the enterprise and really what the really large enterprises in the world today, what they need. And what we saw there was really telling because the move was all about moving to multi-cloud. And that was really the opportunity. And when the strategy developed at Oracle to go one cloud, the Oracle cloud, which is a great cloud, by the way, but I saw the customer opportunity in this multi-cloud world. So I got the team together and I said, hey, let's go start something new and solve this problem that identity is forced to evolve into distributed systems. And that became Strata. And the segment, the creation of this market is the identity orchestration market. Wow. That's quite a succinct description of a fantastic professional journey. So kudos to you. (laughs) Thank you. So let's start from ground zero, if we may. Share with listeners your vision of identity management and what you are seeing out there in terms of the progress, the maturity, and where does identity orchestration come in? Yeah, it's a great question. I think where the world's really changed with the cloud, and it's an understatement, I recognize, but what I'm calling out is that it's really the distributed architectures that come with multi-cloud, where you start to have different components of your environment running in different places. And once you do that, and you find yourself using just one public cloud in your existing private cloud, now you've got multi-clouds. you got on-prem and you've got the public cloud. Increasingly, you have people who are struggling with two or three different public clouds. They've got Amazon, they've got Azure, they've got Google, and they have all their stuff on-prem. So this is a new world where we had to make a shift from the classic mentality of or, do I use this identity provider or the other one, right? Are we a Okta shop or are we a Microsoft shop to where we are today, which is an and, meaning there's good reasons why companies need to run Okta and Microsoft. And so when I looked at that problem, I got some inspiration from virtualization. And if I've been a longtime fan of uh, VMware from the earliest days, and what I saw VMware did was to create an abstraction layer in the hypervisor that decoupled your compute from your hardware. And the world's never been the same since, right? Now you've got cloud computing, you can move workloads wherever you want around the world, and people don't talk about hardware anymore. Well, in a similar way, I see identity providers themselves, the IDPs, are today's hardware in that customers need them, they have to run something, but they don't want to be locked into any one thing. And so we've created an abstraction layer that allow you to decouple the applications from the identity provider so you can mix and match and and do different things. And part of the inspiration from an engineering standpoint on the technology design came from uh, the world of Kubernetes. And if you think about what Kubernetes gave us, it was the ability to take your workloads and move them on any cloud and have confidence that it's going to work wherever you want to deploy it. And I thought, well, why can't we do that with identity? And so 
that really was the kind of spark and saying, hey, can we do this? And uh, we were able to do it. In 2019, we shipped the world's first identity orchestration platform. Uh, we call it Mavericks, and it's been going great ever since. So essentially, Eric, you're talking about creating a seamless authentication experience so users can access what they need without having to jump through different systems and their unique authentication mechanisms, for lack of a better word. When you are trying to solve this orchestration problem out there, and let's say I'm a listener, I'm with a company that has multiple clouds, how do I know that it is that we are ready as an organization, we are ready to have an identity orchestration strategy and we should talk to somebody like you? Yeah, I think the time when identity orchestration makes sense is when you have more than one identity provider. If you just have one IDP and you're running wherever you are, if you've got most SaaS applications or legacy on-prem apps, either way, if you just have one identity provider, you probably don't need orchestration. It's when you get to more than one and when these are in different, typically different technology generations, meaning you'll have your modern cloud identities, the Azures, the Octas of the world. And then you've got all of the old school stuff like the Oracle and the CA and the RSA. And companies today, they still run 80% of their workloads on premises. So to ignore all of the stuff that's really tying people's attention and say, hey, we just want to chase the cloud is really missing what the market needs and that a way to span these two worlds. So if you find yourself trying to modernize applications and move from legacy to modern, that's another really important use case for uh, orchestration. And then the last kind of key one, I would say, has to do with passwordless authentication. And when you're trying to replace passwords, which are you know, the, the weakest link in, in everyone's um, environment. If you want to replace that with a stronger, more trustworthy, phishing-resistant, passwordless, as an example, um, we really like a partner company called Hyper, but we work with all of them. But the challenge with passwordless is how do you get that authentication to work with all of your applications without rewriting them all? And that's where the abstraction layer comes in. So the abstraction layer... Uh, does two things in that case. One, allows you to avoid rewriting any of the applications because from the application standpoint, the orchestration layer presents a facade that looks exactly like the applications expecting it before orchestration came in. And on the other side of the abstraction layer, you bring in a modern authentication technology like passwordless. And so we're able to bring modern security to legacy applications and do that without ever changing them. And it sounds like magic, but it works. And we've got a lot of happy customers, but it is uh, probably saving people the problems of rewriting applications that uh, would be the other reason to look at orchestration. Sure. As you were describing, I'm thinking plug and play, that you build the application independent of this identity and access management layer. And once you decide on what it's going to be, you can plug it into any application that either you build or you acquire or you subscribe to. Is that, is that a, a fair 
understanding at a high level of what you're trying to say? Yeah, absolutely. And plug and play with orchestration, uh, there's two sides to it. The first is what's called an identity fabric. And you think about all of the infrastructure that runs an organization today, you've got different identity providers, different authentication system. Some people use uh, fine grain authorization. Others use risk signals, contextual access, the list goes on. And you think of them most broadly as the five A's, authentication, access, authorization, attributes, and audit. And all of those five need to find their way into this new distributed environment. And so um, thinking about how to look at all of those different disciplines from an identity standpoint and say, hey, how do we extend these into the applications? And so to do that, all of that is plug and play. You just bring an identity provider, everything's already pre-integrated in the orchestration platform. So you can just identify, maybe you've got 20 different applications and five different identity providers. You'd be able to set that up very quickly on the infrastructure side. Now, the second part of the plug and play has to do with how do you integrate with the applications? And over the last, as long as I've been in identity, getting the identity into the application was always the most difficult thing. And so there's all sorts of patterns that we deployed. We used different, well, that was one of the reasons we came up with SAML, right? It was a way to say, hey, let's do this in a standardized way. But um, it's been a perennial issue. And with the successive generations of technology, we've been able to abstract more and more further away from the application. What this means is that today with orchestration, you no longer need an application-specific connector because all of the patterns in the protocols that the applications need are already part of the abstraction layer in the orchestration. So we think about a metaphor, uh, it's like a travel adapter. And instead of having to have a plug for all the different countries that you're going to travel with, wouldn't it be nice if you instead had one adapter that worked with any place on earth? So that's really what the uh, wow. orchestration does is say, hey, you may need SAML over here, but you're receiving OIDC. So I need to translate OIDC into SAML or... I need to go from an old IWA from Windows authentication. I need to turn that into um, OIDC, or I need to go with a really old school. And this is all the legacy people out there will know what I'm talking about is these cookies and the HTTP headers and all of that really first generation stuff. Um, you can bring modern protocols to that. And the orchestration layer will translate, say, OIDC into headers. And so that travel adapter metaphor solves all of the application integration problems without writing any code. That's fascinating. And I love that metaphor of the adapter. As an organization, when I'm trying to implement identity orchestration, am I able to connect with one adapter provided by a vendor organization or also different types of adapters? Yeah, the, the adapters on the application side, it's a pretty well-defined space now. Um, the patterns typically on the modern end are SAML and OIDC. We see uh, OIDC happening more often now than SAML because it's just more lightweight and it's easier. 
And then you go into the legacy. And in the legacy world, that's where you have the Kerberos, you have the IWA, you've got the proxy uh, cookies and all of those different things. So it's it's really once you get those, it's about 10 patterns that you may need to uh, be able to bridge one into the other. So that has been pretty consistent now. In fact, now we're in four years in and we've yet to come into an application that we haven't been able to use this modern approach with. So we're able to say, hey, you can do it. Deploy orchestration, deploy passwordless, and never change your application. And that sounds too good to be true for a lot of people. And we just say, hey, it works. Look at our, our happy customers. Or we'll show you it does work. But it is a different mindset than um, a lot of people were expecting. Good to know. Good to know. So, Eric, you talked about the connection or the relationship between passwordless authentication and identity orchestration. Another term that comes up all, again and again is the single sign-on capability. So how does single sign-on link or align with an orchestration strategy? Yeah, single sign-on is interesting. It, it's great for customers, and especially if you have applications that are customer-facing, you really need to think about that user experience and make that seamless, very easy, but trusted as well. And I think finding that balance between a trusted experience and an easy experience, that's the delicate balance that you can use orchestration to really get that mix right. The other things that happen with single sign-on have to do with the problem of distributed systems, meaning you have a session that you create in one cloud, and then that user and their applications go to two other clouds. Well, how, if you need to, how do you revoke access across three different clouds? And so to do that, the orchestration is the place to do that. It creates a meta session above all of the different clouds and allows you to, for instance, do global single logout. So SLO across all these different clouds, across multiple IDPs. And so there's a, a lot of this magic that happens at runtime in the session. And that session is something that we've gotten to be really competent with because at runtime, it all comes down to that embodiment of that identity is that session. And so doing things with that in a very secure, high-performance way is where single sign-on meets orchestration. Wow. Fascinating. Very enlightening. So Eric, uh... Let's switch to security. During our planning meeting, we were talking briefly about reducing, eliminating security vulnerabilities with application modernization and identity orchestration. So shed some light on the nature of the relationship here. Well, I think if you look at the, the big opportunities in improving security and reducing risk at the application layer, uh, first and foremost, modernize. And there are lots of organizations we work with every day that are using infrastructure software that hasn't been new releases in you know 10, 15 years. And so there's all sorts of new innovations that the identity providers have been investing in, but they're not investing in the old on-prem software. It's all moved to the cloud. So if you want these new capabilities, you've got to get off the legacy and get onto the modern stuff. So that, that's step number one. And by doing that, you're going to get a whole lot more built-in protection 
in a way to think about it, Dave, is like you put it in the drinking water and now everything gets better. The second opportunity, I think, is getting rid of passwords. And you may pick up a theme with me, but I am very anti-passwords because they're just so it's time to be done with them. And we don't sell any passwordless software. We work with all these partners that have have really solved that problem, but we're really there to make it deploy at scale. And if you want to get rid of passwords, which is leading to well over 80% of the breaches and problems that happen with phishing, it's because you have a weak link of a, not only of a password, but the weaker link. And I think we talked about this. It's the people. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. (laughs) You can't make people better Mm -hmm. with software. Human nature is what it is. So instead of fighting it, you just kind of figure out how do you switch it so you don't give them the uh, rope to trip themselves up with. And so if you take passwords out and you replace it with something that they have that's convenient for them. I know I've got my phone with me almost all the time, and it's a lot easier to hold the phone to my face and do a face scan than to remember all of the two, 300 passwords that everybody needs to think about anymore, right? So um, you get better security and it's more convenient for your end user. So it's a true win-win, um, but a lot of this now is just now recently enabled and I'm really excited about some open standards like the FIDO work and passkeys and what's going on with the platform vendors, uh, Apple and Microsoft and Google all standing behind the pass keys, which is an alternative to passwords. And it's phenomenal. It's free. It's it's incredibly useful. And I think it's one more way that we as an industry can help eliminate passwords by offering a better, more convenient alternative. Very true. Um, however, from a customer standpoint, I'm yet to see the wide scale implementation of it. Um, just like you mentioned, even I access a lot of applications and I do have to remember passwords. Um, I'm not a fan of um, remembering and entering passwords, but what's the alternative? The one alternative is to write them down, which is again, undesirable. Um, Having a password manager has its pros, but then password managers have also been hacked. So there are challenges there. So there is no doubt that move to passwordless authentication is desirable. But how far out are we, Eric, when this will no longer be a discussion? Passwordless authentication will not be a discussion. It's it's already built into all the systems and processes. Oh, that's going to be a wonderful day, Dave, <laughs> when we get there. <laughs> you know, to be honest, it's hard to say because yeah. um, I don't know who said it, and I'm just paraphrasing it, but the future is already here but it's not evenly distributed. (laughs) (laughs) I like that. You have the pass keys. I use them all the time, but my dad, he's in his seventies. He's probably not trying to figure out how to use a pass key because just it's not relevant to him day to day. I think when you get to the point where it just is as natural as holding your phone, then you got that ease of use. That'll be, um, so important to it. So the whole user experience is being improved by the commercial vendors. 
And the take a standards-based thing like FIDO is a great standard, FIDO2, and the whole passkey design. And then they layer on tools to get, make that easier to deploy and to manage. So there is a, you're going to make an investment in that, but it's well worth it. Um, I think when people get to the point where, and we've seen this with just OIDC, for instance, sign up with your Google account. And that's so much easier. It's path of least resistance. You have a new consumer app. You want someone to sign up. You don't want to fill out a form. One click right. and you're done. Right. So good for the user, good for the organization. And I think those kind of experiences will be what brings passwordless into the mainstream. You just almost have to put it into the drinking water without drawing attention to it because eventually you design passwords out. Case in point, our software platform, we call it Mavericks, uh, we designed it from the from the very beginning to be completely free of passwords. There's no password in our system anywhere. There's no way to log into Strata software with a password. We hmm. have no field. And I told my developers, look, if you ever find yourself typing the word password in your code, stop. You're doing it wrong. So you need to back that out and figure out why was someone trying to bring a password in the first place and give them an alternative so that it is a bit of a heavy lift in the beginning where you need to change people's mindsets but once they do it once they'll do it that way becomes the way that they train and so it becomes a lot easier on number two number three number four but you do need to kind of make that happen in the very beginning so it's been interesting deploying it ourselves Sure. So you mentioned the word mindset, and I think you are alluding to the application developer's mindset when they're writing the code to you know, enable passwords or enable passwordless. From a mindset standpoint, Eric, uh, whether it's the developer or the user, what are some challenges and success factors when it comes to identity orchestration implementation strategies? If I were to rephrase the question, What's the human factor component in effectively formulating and implementing identity orchestration strategies? Yeah, so great question. Four human factors, four persona that are involved in this. Uh, the first one are your uh, identity infrastructure, your identity teams, your IAM teams that are responsible for your user accounts and the policies and those types of things. The second group are your developers. And these are the ones that build applications. And the third one are your application owners. And these are typically line of business that don't care as much about the technology as much as the what the business application needs to do, right? They care about shipping, uh, shipping milk on time or having the right inventory on the shelves. And they're involved in identity uh, because without people coming into their applications, they don't work. And then the last one are your users themselves. And so these are the four stakeholders, if you will. And when you look at the value proposition to each one of them, it's, it's, it's different. From, I'll start with the end user first, because when orchestration is working at its best, it's transparent. You don't know what's happening. It's completely behind the scenes. And the users, they have that convenient experience, authenticate with their phone, their face scan, finger, whatever, 
and they're into the applications and they don't care if that application's running on one platform or the other. So that's what you need to think about mindset-wise with your end users. Keep that convenience there. For the app owners, it is about telling them which are the approved access policies because they have a different problem. So they may not be really involved in the technology decisions, but they need to know if the right people are accessing the application they're responsible for. So from their standpoint, you want to make their life easy by saying, these are policies that work. Forget about where you need to run them. We'll handle that below the waterline in the abstraction layer, but give your app owners the tools they need to apply policy. Your developers, the third group, they don't want to pay tech debt. <laughs> That's Nobody does, right? Exactly. And nobody wants to pay someone else's tech debt. That's the worst of all kinds, right? If you inherit an app that was built four years ago, no one's around, you don't know what the source code looks like. And all of a sudden your job is to take this and make it better. Well, that's just a waste of time because you spend all this money and effort, but you end up with the same application. So you just spent all your money on tech debt. And so the value proposition to the developer is, hey, stop writing refactor code, just use an abstraction layer and let the software do all of the heavy lifting on the plumbing and you don't have to rewrite your apps. And then the last one are the identity providers and people who manage that infrastructure. And I think what they really look for is choice and flexibility to say, will we have a good reason why we run the complicated environment that we have? And we need to find out how to get from where we are to where we want to be and so the ability to choose different technologies without having to do a lot of work, maybe you just want to test out a passwordless solution and see what it's like before you roll it out to 5 million users. Uh, you can use orchestration to do a quick pilot and apply it to some application. And the application doesn't have to be changed. And it just basically gives the identity infrastructure team the ability to mix and match what's in the identity fabric. So really kind of a loaded question, Dave, but that's the, the way to think about it from our standpoint. Great, great response. So moving along, Eric, let's say my organization is trying to go the identity orchestration route, and we are trying to do our due diligence to identify which service providers or subject matter experts to talk to. What guidance can you offer such organizations when they're trying to make a selection of a service provider or a vendor? Yeah, well, one thing that I will say has been a really great opportunity with this new market of identity orchestration is to change the way that you you know, buy this software, frankly. And instead of the older model of a heavy touch with a sales team that's going to force you into a process and go through that motion, the world today is about self-service and you want to buy, have things bought, not sold. And so I think a lot of what we're seeing now is, hey, go out, see if it works for you, try it. And if the vendor can't give you an environment, can't give you access to the software, then how is, he, how is it going to be to actually implement it? So we've spent a lot of time making that experience self-service. We're always there to help, but we think that that's a way for people to 
build confidence in, hey, this is going to work. Because where we're at as an industry is that uh, from an adoption standpoint, it's been really fascinating, Dave, to see the market move when I first had this idea and I would talk to people 2018, 2019, and the number of people who said, oh, that's not possible. What you're talking about can never be done. And if it could be done, some other company would have already done it. And I thought, all right, well, that's the story I have always heard for every company I've ever done. So that must mean there's an opportunity here. So let's let's figure out how to do it. And the challenge in any brand new market is how do you get people to understand what it can do for you, prove it, and then allow them to start small and not put a lot of risk. And so we believe to kind of show this instead of talk about it, we like to just let customers do it and get their hands on it. And they say, hey, this worked start really small. You should be able to start really, really small with one or two applications and say, hey, did this work? And if we didn't, we want to know how we can roll back. And once you realize, shoot, this stuff works and all of these things I can actually point to as this momentum and success, then that should give you the confidence to go and start adding more applications and more use cases and so on. So we find in the last couple of years, we'd have to convince people identity orchestration is possible. And now what's interesting, 2023, is that we now are talking to companies, we'll see them at a trade show and they'll say, hey, we talked to you three years ago and we now have a budget. And so now we've got money to spend on orchestration. And that is a very different thing than it was just a few short years ago where people thought, I don't know if this is ever going to happen. So it's been, I think, increasingly getting attention. The analysts are understanding it. They are recommending it as a best practice. And now purchasing organizations have budgets and they can point to, hey, if you spend a dollar here, you can get anywhere from 10 to $40 of return on investment. So there's some pretty compelling economic drivers to it as well, that all part of building a new industry you need to be able to get those success stories, the case studies, and be able to show those repeatable use cases. And that's where we're at. It's been really exciting, especially this current year. Absolutely. Now, you mentioned that about a company having a budget that they can use towards identity orchestration. That begs the question, what kind of priority should an organization give to identity orchestration? I'm going to you know, put my two cents out there based on what we've been talking about. You made that uh, connection very nicely that there is convenience and then there is trust and security. When I'm thinking about orchestration, I think it does both. It offers seamless access. At the same time, it provides, enables the functionalities of say single sign-on or passwordless so you're not having to really jump through the hoops. But I'll let you expand on that. Yeah, I think in terms of the when people are justifying making an investment in infrastructure, they typically have the uh, prioritization question. Like, do we need this? Do we need it now? And what is it going to give us if we if we try it? And when you look at that 
it generally comes into three buckets. You have cost savings, you've got time savings, and you've got new capabilities. And you mentioned a number of the new capabilities that are possible with orchestration, right? The better password list experience, more risk signals, all sorts of contextual access, easy authorization, all the five A's. So those are all the new reasons that people are looking to bring something that adds new capability. When you look at the costs and the time savings, that's a very uh, compelling part, especially now the economy is kind of prioritizing. We're back in the mode of, hey, is this a recession? Well, even if it's hard to say, we can start to save money, all right? That's always in vogue. And so when you start to figure out how do you save money, the opportunity is really getting rid of your legacy systems. And so if you can retire old on-premises software, you're going to save a lot, not only on your maintenance and your support, but also all the infrastructure and your staff. And we work with customers that you know have been running a federation software for from a, a company. Yeah, now they're 20 years old, which is funny. I worked with them before they were a startup. And it's funny how that startups become now the, the new legacy, which is a sign of the times, I guess, how fast things change. But that said, the ability to say, look, we want to get rid of old infrastructure, save that money, and the alternative costs. If you had to refactor those applications, the typical number that we see in the industry is about $150,000 in recoding an application that takes about six months end to end, right? Per application. So when you think about some customers, like one of our customers we talk a lot about is Kroger. And they were our first customer and we've helped them move and modernize 200 applications. And they were able to save $150,000 times 200 it's $30 million. And when you think about the time savings, we're talking about 100 man years. So this company, Kroger, they're a very successful business. They have a lot of money and they don't have the time. And so the same situation is saying, look, you want to move your broader cloud strategy forward, but you're locked in on this identity, use orchestration, get out of that. So to recap, the three buckets, new capabilities, all the great new security stuff, the time savings, about six months per application, if not more, and then the cost savings of retiring hard costs in infrastructure, but also the soft costs of avoiding rewrites. And those are pretty compelling right now. And you know we're seeing our customers get anywhere from 10X to 40X return on investment, which makes it a really easy conversation to get top of mind because there's not a lot of security companies that can make those cost-saving promises and deliver on that. Very true, very true. Well, like all good things, this discussion, unfortunately, has to come to an end for now. So I'd like to conclude with, with one message of the many messages you've shared, Eric, and thank you so much. And that message is don't let identity technical debt force you to abandon older line of business applications. Modernize any of your favorites without coding so you can keep business critical systems in play. The reason that stayed with me is we have to offer a practical solution or recommendation to businesses out there, as you said. 
most organizations are saddled with legacy systems that still work. If something works, it's generally difficult to get approval for getting rid of it and getting something new. Not every organization is going to buy into that. Therefore, the next best option is to live with the existing applications as long as they're working, but make them as accessible as possible, make them as secure as possible. And that's where orchestration comes in very handy. Though ideally, as you said, Eric, it makes sense to gravitate to the latest technologies because then the fit between the the latest technology and the latest orchestration tools is better. Those were some of my takeaways, but the final word is yours. What would you like to say? You summarize it really well, and I'll, uh, I'll share this paraphrase quote. I think Voltaire is credited with it, which is more or less, don't let perfect become the enemy of good. And that I think is the pragmatist in me saying to everyone out there, the world's never gonna be perfect. You gotta deal with the world as you have it. And you know, if that means you've got a lot of stuff that's still air quotes antiquated and legacy, shoot, this is legacy. We just put it in a year ago. (laughs) That's how fast it goes, right? It's kind of like software is becoming like sushi. You don't use it, it's bad. Right. <laughs> but um, yeah, just, just find a way, test experiments, keep your risk small, get a little momentum, and then try more use cases, extend it to more applications, and make your users happy. Great advice, Eric, and thank you again for your time. Thank you for having me. A special thanks to Eric Olden for his time and insights. If you like what you heard, please leave the podcast a rating and share it with your network. Also, subscribe to the show so you don't miss any new episodes. Thank you for listening, and I'll see you in the next episode. The information contained in this podcast is for general guidance only. The discussants assume no responsibility or liability for any errors or omissions in the content of this podcast. The information contained in this podcast is provided on an as-is basis with no guarantee of completeness, accuracy, usefulness, or timeliness. The opinions and recommendations expressed in this podcast are those of the discussants and not of any organization.